So, Lord, you knew us before we were born. While we were still in our mother's womb, you shaped us. You know all of our problems, all of our baggage, all of our hopes and joys. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so search us this morning, and may you reveal to us your presence. And we all said, Amen. Have a seat, everyone. We move into our teaching time. We're wrapping up a four-week series on new to the faith, really. And we just go ahead and address Christian parenting this morning, which I think actually will, well, my hope is that it applies to everyone, not just parents and and not just moms and dads. But hey, uh, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Uh, I hope it's a good day for you. Um, So let's move into this whole um, idea of What does it look like then to be a Christian parent? And I'm going to go to a text that's rather famous. It's out of the book of Acts, which is actually appropriate this time of year because we just, uh, the book of Acts is typically what the church teaches following Easter, which was in April and leading up to Pentecost. The Acts of the Apostles is what the full length of the title of the book of Acts is called. And it means it's the life of the church. And how is the church going, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven? And so this is appropriate. So this passage out of Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 22 22 through 28, is famous, and I'll explain it in just a moment, and perhaps you've heard it, uh, maybe not, okay? Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, because he was in Athens, by the way, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city, I looked carefully at the objects of your worship, and I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What, therefore, you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the time of their existence and the boundaries of places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. This is Paul's address to the Athenians. You know, Paul is a Jew and uh, a, a, of the Hebrew tradi- tradition. And the Athenians, of course, are Greek and followed Plato and Aristotle and so forth. And so they're not very familiar with the Hebrew tradition. So they think he's uh, saying some very unusual things. By the way, kind of interesting that Paul um, goes about, you know, that the whole world started from one, which is sort of a human genome type thing. I think it's interesting that ancient people were actually much smarter about this sort of stuff than we even imagine. Um, we think we know so much these days, but, you know, it's just interesting that these sort of stories, myths, and so forth already are saying what we know. What I find interesting, though, about this passage is that most of the time when Christians like Lakeland Christians read this passage... We're looking for strategies of how to reach people who are far from God. We're trying to figure out how do you preach the gospel who don't know what a Jesus is, okay? But I think we miss a very, very important point. And that important point is this. 
Indeed, I'm quoting from the passage there. Indeed, he's not far from each one of us, Paul says. For in him we, we love, uh, we live and move and have our being. In other words, life is unified. <clears throat> life is one. It's interesting to me that Paul, that Paul here is saying all of humanity is connected. It's one blood, one creator, one people. And in this aspect of oneness of the world, we live and move and have our being. In other words, God is all around us. God is pervasive. God is in all people. And as a matter of fact, Paul's saying here, we were all even created that we would yearn and grope for God, for the divine. All of humanity does this. This is a very interesting thing to say. It's a very ancient way of thinking, by the way, and we still have it today, except for some things have fallen out of uh, kelter here, which we'll get to. The problem is, these days, really in the last 300 years, especially in America and in Western Europe, we have moved into a splitting of the divine and secular This was not true for ancient people. Now, I know what you may be thinking, like, yes, that's right, because we've all moved into the age of science and rationalism and post-enlightenment, blah, 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 blah. So we're actually much smarter. We may actually understand a lot more math and a lot more engineering and a lot more science. But as far as understanding life, I'm not sure we're really much better off. It seems to me it'd be a much better thought to think, what if life is all unified? What if there's just one? What if we're all living in a, in an, let's use the word integrated world. Integrated, where everything fits together. See, what we do in America is we split everything apart. Matter of fact, the root origin of the word science is skite, and it means to split. Not that I'm down on science, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, in our search for understanding, we tend to want to divide and slice and chop things up. Like it's though we took a pie and we sliced everything uh, into its slices as opposed to just seeing one pie where everything's together. That's what we tend to do. And this is important because what we've done then as parents and influencers is to split things into various slices of life. We've been, we begin to slice everything up. We slice everything up like a pie. So we have a hobby slice We have a sports slice, we have a work slice, we have a home slice, we have a religious slice, we have a God slice, we have a spirituality slice, and then we spend our time moving around between those various slices. The result is, in my opinion, is that we become very anxious people. Anxiety creeps in because we spend a lot of time being split people so much We're trying to figure out which slice we're in and how we're going to move from our hobby to our sports to our work back to the weekend, on to church, and on to God. And we're exhausted. That's the result of living with a split world mentality. And the Greeks, by the way, are the ones who started this because Plato's really the, or if you want to blame anybody, you can blame Plato because Plato didn't believe in anything changing. And so he began to split uh, spiritual from material world. It's his fault. And he's, uh, I'm not the one making this up, but he's the most influential philosopher of, in Western culture uh, still today. And this was true for the Greeks. But still the Greeks, at Paul's time, understood that there is a divine, right? The Hebrews, by the way, the Jews, 
understood that everything was a whole, right? That's the way they understood, and you see that all throughout the Bible. But we Westerners don't understand that. So you might, you're probably thinking, like, so what's this got to do with Mother's Day? Well, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents, stepparents, godparents, older siblings, all cousins and all everyone, here's the deal. Children, younger children, are experts at discerning and seeing that we live split lives, that we slice and dice life. They're experts. Or to put it more succinctly, children are experts at seeing and identifying hypocrisy. Woe to the parent who teaches their child the word hypocrisy because you will hear it forever. And you will be the object of the hypocrisy. That's the way it will go. They are experts at seeing your disparity in life where you're inconsistent, right? You're in the kitchen, you say one cuss word. Oh, they caught you. You're busted. They're all over you. It's Christmas time, you're leaving the grocery store and there's the person out there with the bell and the red bucket. You are in a hurry. You've got the kids in tow, you've got the cart, you've got all that. You don't throw any change in the bucket. Guess what's gonna happen? Your five-year-old's gonna immediately say, why didn't you put any change in the bucket? I think you should put a change in the bucket. What's wrong with you? You're not putting any change in the bucket. We should put something in the, give me something, I'll put something. You know, and what are you doing? You're constantly walking to the car trying to figure out how to tell them life's not that simple. Or you make up some lame answer like, we don't have any money, which is totally wrong since you were just in the store buying everything. And, and you know, you say something, then they're like, hypocrite. That's what children do. They understand black and white, not gray. They understand good and bad. They know. They're very clear about things. And you, parent, will be the object <laughs> of all of this uh, split living, right? You're, you're the one who's going to be showing them what that looks like. So I'm going to assume this morning that since you're a church that you, you want your child to be a spiritual person, uh, you want them to grow them up spiritually, and that you're really interested in that. And uh, I'm also then going to assume, though, that you don't want them to be a weird spiritual person. You don't want them to be a, a religious wingnut, right? You don't want them joining some cult and shaving their head or whatever and going to the airport wearing an orange robe or something like that and selling junk and joining a cult and drinking Kool-Aid and all that sort of thing. You don't want them doing that. But I think we would be just fine if they were just a polite religious person where they split off their spirituality and their faith into a nice little polite pie slice and if it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the week, well, it's okay. I think kids can sniff that out. We don't want them to be a wingnut, but I would propose we also don't want them to be a nice, religious, polite person. Just, just, enough, just enough religion without being a zealot. Now, all this to say, all this to say is that your children are watching you, yeah? And if you live a split life, then they will live a split life. If you slice up your life, they will learn to slice up life. They too will become anxious. That's the result of splitting up life. 
I'm not just saying that the normal routine uh, statement here, take responsibility for your children's spiritual upbringing. I mean something more basic, something more earthy, something more profound. And it's just simply this. Whether or not, whether or not you teach your children about God and spirituality and the faith and this sort of thing, it doesn't matter because they're going to learn it anyway from you. Your life and lifestyle will teach them how to be a spiritual or, let's say, a non-spiritual person. It's already getting communicated. You do it in everything else in life. What sports team you root for, uh, what kind of job you're supposed to have, whether or not you go to school, how you spend your money, what you watch on television, everything like that is already being telegraphed and and embedded into your kids. That's all going like that. So then it matters that how you react like when you bounce a check. Do you flip out and say like, how'd that happen? Or you say like, well, that figures. I <laughs> saw it coming. You know? Or how you relate to other drivers on the road. That's how they learn how to relate to other drivers on the road. Right? How you talk about the neighbors. How you treat the dog. In other words, the most basic things of life are how they'll learn how to live. All day long. Whether or not we want to admit it or not, we are telegraphing how you're supposed to live life, and that includes God. Children are absorbing life. The Christian faith is more caught than taught. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. We all know this, right? We all know this. Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian counselor and author who's written a ton of books on parenting and, and uh, psychology, he says this, we all know people who are loving, hardworking, reality-based, but have no spiritual life to speak of. They have been able to learn about reality from some of God's resources, such as good people and truth and experience, but for some reason, they don't consider God the source of their life. Henry Cloud then goes on to say, but you may know also a lot of highly religious folk who know the Bible and and talk well about God, but their everyday lives do not reflect it. For them, the center of what matters and makes them tick is not connected to the rest of real life. And so when it gets around, what Cloud's saying is, is that when you get around to talking about, well, kids, that's not how real life works. You don't pray for your food at school. That's not how real life works. These sort of things begin to come up. And the child begins to learn like, oh yeah, okay, let's just take a little spiritual slice over here and we'll put that over there you know, for Sundays a few hours. And we have split our world. I convince children begin life as very spiritually minded human beings. I think all human beings, following really Paul here and and even the Greek idea, is that children begin life much more spiritual and it's us who begin to dissect them and pull them apart and split apart their lives. They already start off as very holy beings. I ran across a story a while back about a little girl who asked her parents if she could be alone with her brand new baby brother. It was kind of a weird question that she wanted to be alone with her little brother who was just a baby, a newborn. So being good parents, they said, no. No, you may not. And then 
they started watching her because they were worried. Is this some sort of sibling rivalry? Is she jealous? Is she going to do something, some kind of harm to the baby? And so they watched her. The little girl, by the way, kept asking, can I be alone with my new baby brother? And they kept saying no. All week long, they watched her. But the little girl did not exhibit any sort of harmful intentions toward the baby. She loved her little baby brother. She thought he was awesome. Nothing weird going on. So she just wore him down all week long. And so then finally they said, okay, you can be alone with your little brother. But of course, they stood outside the bedroom door and had the, crack, uh, the, the door cracked. Okay. And the little girl went inside and she got about this close to her little baby brother. And she said this, baby, tell me what God feels like because I'm starting to forget and you were just there. Perhaps we too have forgotten about God. Maybe early on, we too just drifted away from our true spiritual foundation, from our integrated world, from our idea that everything belongs together, that everything is spiritual. That's actually not even right to talk about spiritual and secular. That all of life, in Him we move and live and have our being. That everything is one. Perhaps, perhaps. We've forgotten all this. But I can speak from experience as a pastor. People learn too late just how important it is to have a spiritual foundation and an integrated life. I've counseled a fair amount of people over the years who when crisis hits or chaos hits in the family or an illness or something goes wrong, they act surprised like it wasn't supposed to happen. And then they don't know where God is. And they say, where's God? And I want to say, well, God's over there in your other pie slice. No wonder he's not over here in your crisis slice. You haven't put the whole thing together. That's why life suddenly seems surprising to you. See, folks, the way life really works is the same way things work as, as a sport. When you're on a team, whether you're playing basketball or baseball or football or something like that, no one goes out during a game and begins to do something spectacular. Just the same as when you're in a crisis in life, you don't suddenly get very spiritual and have all the spiritual answers and your act together during a crisis or in chaos. Instead, just like a sport, what happens is, is that you train and you train and you practice and you practice and you practice so that when you go out to play the sport, you don't now start doing something exceptional and something unique and suddenly get awesome, you know, Michael Jordan talent or something playing basketball. You just simply do what you were trained and what you practiced. That's how sports work. That's how life works. So if you're not training day in and day out with your relationship with God, and bathing your world in God, in spirituality. When, when things go wrong, then God won't necessarily be present because he's over there in another slice. That's why spiritual formation, discipleship is so critical. So we understand everything as being from in him. And so we don't get blindsided by life. So here's what we have to do, everyone. We have to chase after God ourselves 
so that others around us, I'm talking about our children, so that it oozes out, so that it bleeds, so that it disperses out into the house and into life. This is true for parents and their children. Christianity is more taught than caught. If you haven't heard it enough, hear it again. Christianity is more caught than taught. It's true. It's even true for adults. We've watched around here. All of us are learning from each other. I can throw Bible verses at you all day long about how to spend your money or save money or what, you know, how to be wise about your money. But I'm telling you, what we all do is when we get together, we find out little snippets and little bits of how people, each other is spending their money. Oh, you have a 401k? Maybe I should have a 401k. Oh, you're doing that, you know, most thing for saving for your kid's college? Maybe I should do that. Oh, you know, you put your deposit, your whole paycheck, and then you take out spending from that? Oh, maybe I shouldn't just cash out my check, and then why is it gone? You see what I mean? We begin to learn. Oh, you're charitable, and, and you're not eating ramen noodles all week long? Then maybe I could be charitable too, and maybe, you know, I won't die. That's what we do. We all begin to learn from each other. It's more caught than taught, everyone. And this is totally true for children. They're just a sponge soaking all of this up, aren't they? So when we watch television with our kids, you're going to have to be the interpreter. You have to be the decoder of the commercials. I'm not really worried about the shows unless you're showing your four-year-old Game of Thrones or something like that, but let's just get over that. Let's just say the commercials, okay? Because you want to be able to point out when, you know, the commercial comes on and some super rich movie star is driving some $60,000, $70,000 luxury car, and you say, kids, what do we have in our driveway? We got a minivan. Like, do you think we need that $60,000 car? And says, well, the commercial still says we need that $60,000, you know, super rich, cool guy car. You know, like, well, what do we do, kids? We don't really drive through the jungle, and we don't really, you know, chase after gazelles and stuff like that. They're like, they always show in all these commercials. All we do is drive down to Price Chopper. You know, do you think we need that car to do that? And I know what your kids are thinking. Like, well, it probably wouldn't hurt. <laughs> you know? You're like, let's just spend the money doing something different. You know? Because you don't need to be like that super rich movie star who's driving around in the middle of the night, who's asking those questions. What's life all about? Why am I here? Whose kids are those in the back seat? What am I going to do with this thing I'm rolling between my fingers? You know? Matthew McConaughey, I mean, like, does anybody really do that? No, kids, we don't do that. If you ever see your dad driving along with his eyes closed, say something, okay? <laughs> or you may want to point out, you know, while you're watching TV and you're flipping through the channels and there comes, the, you know, the next teenage heartthrob show, you know, Twilight, etc., and and it's all about the premarital sex because that's the only way, you know, a TV show can show how people are in love is to go to sex because they only have about 43 minutes. So how are you going to hurry that along? Right? Oh, sex, that'll be show that they're in love. Like, yeah, right. You know, like that's actually the pinnacle of being in love. You have to decode these things. One woman writes that she'll never forget this picture that was burned into her mind. She remembers as a child uh, sometimes she went downstairs in the middle of the night to get a glass of water and she found her detached, not emotionally attached to her, uh, father on his knees praying for the family. That picture of her dad, who wasn't real present, burned into her mind. 
it changed her entire picture of her father and what it means to be a spiritual person. And it brought her back to God. It's hard to find some specific instructions from Jesus that tell us Christianity is more caught than taught because Jesus just did it. He just lived it. His school of discipleship, we can't do hardly anymore. He just took a bunch of people with him, 12 men in particular, but there was a huge crowd of 70 men and women that when they could make it would be, go with him everywhere they go. They walked everywhere they went. The rhythms of walking was how it was all taught. We don't have these advantages. Somehow in our you know, advanced society, we've split everything up. And I think we've become less human. We've become more empty. More caught than taught, everyone. To be an integrated, bound together, holistic, healthy person is to live a life that's all put together and not sliced up into pie slices. The Apostle Paul, you know, when he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, he's actually quoting to the Greeks a Greek poem. He didn't make that up. In him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting a famous Greek poem, a passage. Paul's a pretty smart guy. He knew his stuff. He's well-educated. And he's bringing that together, saying like, you understand this, Greeks. I understand it. Let me tell you about how this works these days. It's not unknown. And that's what we have to be doing to our children. We have to tell them it's not unknown. There is Jesus. There are other Christians around. It's not unknown. It's more caught than taught. A book came out a few years ago. It's called Ask the Children. And it's based on the results of a five-year study where researchers interviewed parents and children both. One of the questions that was intriguing to me was this. If you were granted, this is what they asked the children, if you were granted one wish to change the way your mother or father's work, their occupation in other words, to change the way your mother or father's work affects your life, what would it be? One wish to change the way your mother or father, father's work that affects your life, what wish would that be? What do you think they answered? Time is what we usually all think. That is not the answer. Maybe we think more time meaning more vacation or less stress or something like that. When the researchers surveyed uh, the parents, they, the parents all said, my kid's going to say time. I want more time back from work. But you know what the kids actually answered? They answered money. We need more money. Why did they answer money? Because that is the water everyone was swimming in in the house. That's all that gets talked about in the house. We need more money. We need more money. We got money problems. Money, money, money. We got money issues. The kids are saying, well, then it's real easy. I'm totally brilliant on this thing. Like, we need some more money. Because what's the child really getting at? The child doesn't want an apprehensive, freaked out home. They want their parents to be present. Not obsessing about, like, how are we going to make it? So the kid's smart. It's like, just to get some more money, that'll solve all of our problems. Not so the kid thinks I can buy a new iPhone or a Barbie or something like that. They just want the temperature in the house to come down to normal. That's what they're after. 
to be less anxious. When we slice up life, anxiety increases. This is what we need to be working on with our kids. More cough and taught. You know what you ought to do? You should take that question. If you were granted one wish to change how my job affects all of us in this house, what would it be? Let's see what they say. One wish, how I could change my work. What would it be, kids? Moms, you could ask that. That'd be a good one. Children need to see the eternal intertwined in the everyday. The eternal's got to be wrapped in with the everyday. And it's fairly easy for kids, more often than not, to see the supernatural, which I don't like the word supernatural, because to me it's all just integrated into one thing. There's not some super thing. It's all, it's all miracle to me. Everything normal is that. It's easier for kids to understand that, especially early on. Um, There's a story about a kid who uh, a violent thunderstorm came that night, and there was a big burst of lightning and a clap of thunder. And the dad went to the kid's bedroom to peek in to see if the kid was crying or freaking out, didn't hear anything, and peek in. And there uh, was a little guy standing in front of the window. And the dad said, are you okay? And he said, God just took my picture. (laughs) You know, I tried to get my little girl to uh, say cheese every time of lightning because she was scared of storms and it didn't didn't work. So, uh, So, but... That's a child with a God-bathed world. God, just took my picture. Everything's perfectly fine. It's all good. See, parents, aunts and uncles, everyone, grandparents, this is your job, okay, is to bathe the world in this. And by the way, the research shows from sociologists and anthropologists is that aunts and uncles in particular are more influential when it comes to how to live life than parents. They're watching parents for anxiety and so forth, but it's the aunts and uncles who uh, research shows will teach a kid to smoke, will teach them how to drink, will, and, most, and mo- most importantly, teaches them about sex. Moms and dads, you're off the hook. Just, just get weird Uncle Harold in there, man. He's going to teach your kid all about sex. <laughs> like, you know, the stuff you would never say, don't worry. Weird Uncle Harold's going to get it done for you. Yeah? Invite him on the camp out and see what happens around the campfire. Right? So I'm so excited. I'm going to Canada with some of these guys here uh, in a couple of weeks. And man, am I going to let loose around the campfire. It's just going to be so fun. They'll be pulling whatever hair they have left out. No, I'm kidding. But it, well, actually, it's just statistically true. Grandparents, this is hugely important for them. You could get by with murder because then you just get to give the kids back. Just go get yourself a nice big cherry pie, shove it across the table and say, kids, no forks, no slices, no nothing, man. Just dig in. You know why? Because life is just a pie and it's just one big round thing and it all belongs together and maybe they'll get the metaphor or maybe they'll just eat the pie and then feed them a Mountain Dew and send them home. Older siblings, cousins that are older than the kids, you have such tremendous power, such tremendous power to shape children. They are watching everything you do. They'll do all sorts of things that the parents never can, uh, that the parents can't teach, but you can teach. So be responsible about the thing, weird Uncle Harold, because 
They're watching. It's the way it works. This is the way it goes. So parents, it matters that you pray at dinner time. It matters that you live a spiritual life, that you live an integrated life, because it's more caught than taught. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's all together. And so now let's move into the Lord's table. If the servers want to come forward, we're going to do something that was actually by its very symbol is an integrated thing. This bread and this cup, very earthy things, right? It's food. And if you've ever wondered, like, why do Christians do that weird ceremony thing, that ritual, where they do the bread and the, and the wine, you know, the juice thing? Well, why that? The whole point, it's very ancient, very Hebrew, right? It's the idea that when Jesus did this sort of thing, he's saying, like, look, it's just like life. You take God into you. Every day, every week, you take God into you. It's not split. It's all one pie. So that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This proclaiming, this remembering, it's not a fond remembrance of somebody long gone. Remembering means right now, in the bread, in the juice. It's a visceral, immediate thing. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. And pay particular attention to the phrase, daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Pray that, would you? So let's pray all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Jesus Christ be as real to us as this food and drink. Come forward whenever you want, whenever you're ready. Tear off a piece of the bread and dip in the chalice and see if this isn't real for you. Lord, you've fed us with spiritual food and you're about to send us out into the world to bring hope and light into a world that oftentimes has split you off. May we be the integrated ones. May we be the whole pie people. In the name of Christ, we all said. Um, Let's end then with this uh, Celtic blessing that we love so much from the Irish tradition of Christianity. So everyone all together. Everyone ready? May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm, May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, everyone.